Hayden Thompson here and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the pack heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. G'day, and welcome to episode 83, where today I have guest Jordan Rogers of the Lloyd James Group and the Food Executives Club fame, and the current Chief Commercial Officer and Sales Director at the Very Good Food Co. Now, Jordan has over 14 years of CBG experience with Seven as the founder and CEO of the Lloyd James Group, which was North America's first plant-based food brokerage. Now, his business was acquired by the Very Good Food Co. in 2021, and Jordan has since led the Canadian wholesale team and secured distribution in well over 1,000 Canadian retail locations. Jordan sits on numerous boards and is currently the president of the Vancouver Executives Club. Now, on today's episode, we cover a lot of ground chatting about food brokerage, the CBG and grocery industries, and we touch a little on his current role at the Very Good Food Group. Uh, it was a pleasure chatting with Jordan. It was a uh, it was something that I'd been looking forward to for a long time, and I hope you all enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Cheers. Jordan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Hayden. No worries, mate. Uh, this has been a long time coming. We've been trying to tee this up for a while now. It has, and you know... I think back to when you first asked me, which was probably almost a year ago. Yeah, probably. And, yeah. Um, there had been quite a few changes in my life. And I remember we were booked to talk, I think it was February the 11th, mm-hmm. 2022. Yep. And um, I was driving into work and my wife called me and she said, I think my water's broke. I have to go to the hospital and I was due to talk to you at 12 and yep. uh, I think I called you and I said, man, the time is now I'm, I'm sorry. And this was probably the second time we had pushed off. Yeah, and yeah, I, said, yeah. I said, listen, you're the first guy I've called. This is, this is actually happening. And it what was an really honor. interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it was really interesting because um, I went into just total kind of, chill control mode. I Mm -hmm. didn't panic. I didn't race home or anything like that. It was just very systematic. And uh, yeah, the next day we uh, welcomed our baby boy, Roman Rogers into the world. Congratulations, um, mate. And life hasn't been the same since, has it? No, lots of changes, which, (laughs) uh, you know, that's what life is about. Uh, Lots of twists and turns, peaks and valleys. And uh, yeah, you know, I've I've strapped in for the ride. Oh, dude, you've got no option. But you know, life has never been better. I'm sure, and you know, I've got two of my own. And you know, my wife and I, we say like we've never been so tired and stretched thin in our lives, but we've never been happier either. So it's quite the dichotomy, mate. Right. I I don't know. As a new parent, are you allowed to say to come home from work or say to your partner? I can't. I'm too tired. Is that allowed in this day and age? Yeah, absolutely. But you know what you do? So like, it's a matter of, for me of changing gears. So obviously like I'm up and out of the house um, and, you know, work a full day. And then on my drive on the way home, I make a really conscious effort of sort of re-engaging and sort of like taking a moment to myself to go, all right, now I'm about to clock in for the second shift and, you know, walking in the door, it's all about the priority of, you know, the kids and, you know, taking and sort of alleviating some of the pressure off Ash because she's had a full day with the kids too. And, you know, getting um, dinner on and bath and bed and sort of that routine um, happening. And, um, you know, it takes a conscious effort because it would be really easy to sort of walk in the door tired. Like I've made it many mistakes, many, many times, like I'm definitely not perfect. Um, right. But yeah, that transition into the the threshold of, you know, through the door and, you know, putting on the dad mode is um, definitely got to be a conscious decision every day. Yeah, no, I like it. I, yeah. I feel the same way as you. And uh, yeah. I, I'm one of those individuals, you know, in, in, in light of what happened with COVID, yeah. um, when I was working from home or now in the office, I've always... Um, you know, put on a, a collared shirt and a, and a jacket and some jeans because I like that transition. I like once I come home, 
collared shirt, the jacket that comes off and, yep. uh, you know, you're wearing, you're wearing the dad shirt, yep. um, because lots of uh, things can happen when you're picking up your newborn <laughs> yeah. and it, it helps with the transition. I find, even if you work from home, just to uh, dress up into your work clothes and then, and then shed them when you make that transition. Yeah. So I'm agreed. I think that's important. Yeah. And you know what I do? My secret is also, if I am really, really exhausted, I will uh, pull over on the side of the road, like beside a park or something like that. And I'll have a 15 to 20 minute snooze in the truck so that ah. when I do walk in the door, I'm fresh and good to go because, you know, the days are long and the nights are, you know, well, the evenings are long as well, because just like you, like, you know, we're all trying to get ourselves a little bit ahead in life. So, you know, I've got my podcast and I'm driving really hard in my career too. So the laptop isn't really closing until, you know, sort of 10, 30, 11 o'clock. So the one thing that I am sort of, um, you know, putting on the back burner is sleep and it shouldn't be, it should be a priority, but that's just not the reality when you've got young kids either. So, you know, um, getting that 15 to 20 minute nap in before I walk in the door, um, a couple of days of the week really helps me too. Right. See, I, yep. I, uh, I find the best part about being a dad with a, uh, 16 week old is mm -hmm. that, uh, I put the baby down at seven thirty, and then I put myself down shortly after that. Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, I agree. That is definitely a luxury for sure. Um, but, you know, one thing that I would love to talk to you about is obviously, you know, being a dad and, you know, getting into all of that new stuff is so much fun. But you've got such a um, your, your career, man. I'm going back through your LinkedIn profile. And I mean, you've been involved in the food industry for a long time. And, um, you know, you cut your teeth at Sunopter and Danone and how do you pronounce it? Kehi? Kehi? Kehi, yeah. Kehi. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Kehi is the U.S. parent company in, in Canada. Right. It's called yeah. Tree of Life. Yeah. Oh, got you, got you. And yeah. then obviously you founded and developed the Lloyd James Group, which was acquired by the Very Good Food Company in March 21. So you operated that business for eight years. Huge undertaking, I can imagine, you know, developing and building your own brand and business and then selling it, which is, you know, a huge achievement as well. And, uh, and you're currently on various boards and committees at the moment, like the Food Executives Club of Vancouver. You're the treasurer and VP. So you're a very busy man. And uh, you're obviously the director of sales at the Very Good Food Co. too. So, mate, you've got a lot on your agenda. I can imagine that, you know, managing your time, especially between your career and, you know, being a dad is a huge undertaking as well. Yeah. So I'd love to sure. discuss all of that with you. But where are you from? Where did you grow up? Yeah. So uh, born and raised Vancouverite, um, which is, um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to have had that privilege and just see the city grow into a real cosmopolitan city mm. and um, real outdoorsmen love getting to the Lynn Canyon on the weekends and exploring out there um, and absolutely love, um, you know, Vancouver and uh, made the decision, moved away um, once, but uh, my heart was always drawn back to the ocean and uh, here I am again. So yeah, you're, you're correct. My, my love of the food business started probably when I was about 10 years old and I used to shop at a really cool store called, and it's still relatively cool, I guess you could say, called Meinhardt's, which was yeah, owned at that time, um, and I would say maybe 1996, I went in there and it was owned by Linda Meinhardt prior to being purchased by um, Jim Patterson Group. On Granville? I remember, the, is on Granville. Got the one location? Yeah. Okay. Got yeah. You. Yeah. Yep. You got it. And I remember going in there with my mom and we were shopping and there was a bag of really colorful chips on the shelf. And um, I said to my mom, Oh, this is a really cool brand. I haven't seen this one before. And as it turned out, I think it was a bag of kettle chips. And that was the first time they were coming into the Canadian market. Yeah. And um, I was just really enthralled with that bag of chips and being unique and new. And that made me think, Hmm, you know, um, how do I get products into the market? And, um, you know, I grew up with three older sisters and a, a dad who, um, like myself, owned a business, um, but it was in financial services. And um, I've always, you know, had that passion for, for food and love to cook and been a foodie from, you know, an early age and didn't really enjoy the, the finance crunching numbers that was food for me. Um, all the way. So, um, you know, fast forward, I, I did my undergrad in, in Eastern Canada at Bishop's University and uh, had a great time out there and, um, you know, learned how to uh, um, really, uh, you know, 
figure out kind of where I wanted to go. Um, what did you study? With, I, I studied political studies and, mm-hmm. and sociology. So I had a, a good, um, you know, perspective on how to write papers and make the fat, fact-based argument. But um, yeah. our school was a bit of a, a party school. So, um, you know, after graduating four years, I, I knew I wanted to get in business and obviously the food business. So I went to BCIT and I took the marketing management entrepreneurship program, which was a two-year um, marathon, seven classes a day, and, and really um, taught me the fundamentals of business. Mm-hmm. Um, thereafter, I worked for uh, Dan and Yogurt, was a retail development specialist uh, here in Vancouver. So, you know, that was going into stores, um, pitching uh, new SKUs, fighting for more linear, getting those big displays, and um, also um, putting in um, secondary coolers and um, had gl- great classical CPG training with it yeah. on. Yeah. Um, was that your first sales role? Like, you know, true sales role? Yeah, that was my first. Well, I had, I had done some other selling in, in mm-hmm. um, different industries, but that yep. was my first one in, in, uh, in CPG. Uh, yeah. 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 When you were doing your studies, so like your, um, your entrepreneurship piece, you said it was a heavy workload. What was missing in that course where, you know, if you were looking back, you'd be like, you know what, it was great, but it was missing some key components or was, did it sort of encapsulate everything? Oh, it really encapsulated everything. I think, mm. you know, um, BCIT, similar to like a George Brown in Ontario offered um, kind of real life scenarios. Um, That's cool. Taught me how to work really well in a group. Uh, I remember in one of our classes, our teacher, Rick Kretsch, um, came in and we were at the front of the class all ready to prepare and we had a PowerPoint deck uh, all ready to go projected up on the wall and uh, he went over to the computer and turned out the power and he said now what are you going to do and, uh, that forced us to really think on our feet and and, yeah. and adapt and um, yeah. yeah BCIT was great for the, the technical side um, you know I had to do finance cost accounting all those uh, fun grueling courses so yep. Um, yep. from a technical perspective it, it was great that's awesome I uh, I did a similar program I completed my master's in entrepreneurship and innovation back at Swinburne in Melbourne which nice. was a great course as well like thoroughly enjoyed it and, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know at the time, but now that I'm in sales, I'm reflecting back on my course and there wasn't one sales component or competency <laughs> taught throughout that course. You know, they did marketing and counting and finance and market research and, you know, all of those sort of like components and core sort of um, pieces of a business. But the yeah. actual competency of selling, like that piece wasn't even spoken about. And I'm kind oh. of shocked by that because unless you can sell, whether it's an idea or a product or, you know, you can't do anything. And I'm like, it's probably almost the most critical part of a business, especially right. in a leadership role. Like you've got to almost have a sales understanding, um, you know, to be somewhat, under, you know, um, successful. So I was wondering if you sort of experienced the same thing. No, we did a, we did a lot of um, um, kind of role play. Um, cool. selling yeah. which was really um you know fun but mm-hmm. um we didn't do um in our in our um later studies we didn't do any actual selling but it was a lot yeah. of role play and, yeah. And, yeah. and that was fun i think the thing that was missing to answer your question mm-hmm. upon reflection um because it was entrepreneurship heavy was just the uh, preparing individuals for the emotional toll mm-hmm. of being an entrepreneur which <laughs> I think sometimes it's not talked about the ups yeah, you're and downs absolutely right. and the, oh my God, yeah. this yeah. is the best day ever. And and that piece wasn't really discussed. Uh, yep. I think, you know, there's a lot of um, information about there out there about the, the sexy part of being mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. And sometimes um, the most challenging parts about being an entrepreneur, loneliness, um, ups and downs wasn't discussed. And, yep. and I think that piece was kind of missing and, and how mm-hmm. maybe they could have remedied that was brought in um, entrepreneurs uh, to share their mm-hmm. experiences, good, bad and ugly versus always just good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Like, um, 
you know, that conversation is a common theme on this podcast. And it's something that I also notice a lot on LinkedIn, like people are willing to be so transparent and, you know, talk about their failures and, you know, the sleepless nights and, you know, the stressful moments that they've had around the financial position of the business, especially in the early days is just trying to grow and, you know, manage cash flow. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Throughout my course, we did a lot of case studies and they're all on relatively successful businesses that have made it through, you know, those challenging times. Um, or when we had, you know, guest speakers come on in and, you know, talk about their business, it was all about this sort of the positive attributes of operating and, you know, getting a business off the ground and, you know, um, product market fits and customer validation and so on. And yeah, those sleepless nights were never discussed. So you're absolutely right. I think it is a a core piece that is missing at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So mate, tell me about the Lloyd James group. Obviously you founded it in 2013. What was sort of the, you know, the, um, where did the idea come from and uh, what sparked the idea? Yeah, so the catalyst, I, I actually mm. was, I, I was moved uh, from um, Vancouver via Danone to um, Calgary, right. um, where they had asked me to become the um, sales analyst. So I mm-hmm. learned uh, category management, Nielsen, all that fun stuff, really yep. um, to support key account managers making that fact-based approach to achieve distribution. Um, So I was living downtown Calgary, true Vancouver boy, right? Mm -hmm. Moved to a city, you find the water. Um, And in July, 2013, uh, the Elbow River flooded. And we actually um, were asked to vacate our our place uh, due to the water. Yeah, right. And I I was living in, um, I had to live temporarily in my um, at that time, my partner's um, dad's basement. Wow. And I remember coming up from the basement and and uh, saying to myself, "There's got to be something more," because you know it was it was tough being evacuated due to the flood and yep. and then work and all that stuff. And I remember calling one of my mentors, Boyd Stevens, who mm-hmm. uh, is the owner of of Seba Stevens. Um, they do brokerage as well, and I said, okay. "Boyd, you know." I'm, I'm, I'm 30 years old. I've had this traumatic event happen. I'm not so happy in my relationship. I'm thinking about moving back to Vancouver and I, you know, want to start my brokerage, but there's a problem. He said, what's that? I said, I don't have any brands and I don't have any connections. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, Jordan, if you don't scratch that itch, you'll never feel satisfied. Yeah. So, uh, packed my bags, moved back to Vancouver and, um, you know, open, open the doors, so to speak. And, uh, it was scary as hell uh, because again, no brands and, and no major relationships at, mm-hmm. at that time with the big retailers. Mm. Um, so that's kind of the, the catalyst for starting. And people always say, where did the name Wade James come from? Mm. Is it a bank? Are you selling ladies shoes? <laughs> what are you doing? And, uh, Lloyd um, is actually my grandfather, and he uh, was a strong, strapping school principal. Right. And he had 14 children. Um, So I admired uh, his sense of family and discipline, and obviously my grandmother for putting up with a guy because, geez, that's... That's a that's a heavy ask, isn't it? <laughs> to to bear that many children. I, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I I just admired him and um, my dad James, as I mentioned earlier, uh, started a successful financial services yeah. business in, in Vancouver, and um, you know he always taught me um, about integrity and and integrity from his perspective is doing the right thing when no one is looking. Mm. Um, and he had a wicked sense of humor as well. So, um, those two men were, you know, big, um, big influences in my life. So I jammed them together and came up with Lloyd James and, um, you know, on my business card. And when I conducted myself, I was always aligned with those values and Mm. and it was a, a, a good reminder when I was out there. So that's, that's how I came up with the name Lloyd James. That's a hell of a benchmark. That's awesome. Um, So you and I obviously met through um, Bruce Wallinger as well. We were introduced uh, by Bruce and he's a hell of a guy. I've had him on the podcast too. And I can imagine, you know, bringing on the right people around you to help, you know, you successfully execute on your vision for the Lloyd James group would have been essential. At what point did you bring on Bruce? 
Yeah. So started Lloyd James, you know, the first two years we were focused on natural products and then mm-hmm. we pivoted in 2015 to all plant-based. Yeah. I did notice um, that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and part of that pivot, one need that we had identified with a lot of these brands was they didn't understand the fundamental pieces required to get into the Canadian market because mm-hmm. we were mostly targeting U.S. brands. Yeah. Um, and Bruce and I said, what if there was a way to help remove the barriers to educate these folks on what's required um, to you know, successfully enter in the Canadian market? And we developed um, the Grocery Insight Program and, and Bruce mm. um, came on and, and um, worked on that with me. And obviously he comes from the processing side of the business. Yeah. I come from the sales and marketing side and we just had a great uh, partnership and um, really helped a lot of uh, U.S. and international brands um, break down the barriers of, of um, you know, being successful in the Canadian market and really just giving them the information and the tools that um, you know they wouldn't be able to find uh, online, and and gave them uh, a sober realities of what it what it took mm-hmm. or what it takes rather to be mm-hmm. successful in the, in the Canadian marketplace. So that's how Bruce and I connected, and um, we still uh, are are good pals to this day. Yeah, good. He is a nice guy. I uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting him a few times, and I feel as if every time I have a conversation with him, I take away something from the conversation. Like he's so wise and insightful and willing to share which is you know an attribute that um that i love yeah i'm willing to share with anybody mm. and everybody and um you know non-judgmental too which i think is one of his best qualities and and, and characteristics and he genuinely cares about the people he interacts with without yeah. expecting anything in return which is yeah. pretty unique I agree. And I've heard that from a few people as well. I've got some clients here at Foodpack that have worked with Bruce. He's, you know, sort of um, offered some consulting to them and yeah, all of them speak so highly of him. So yeah, hats off to Bruce for everything that he's doing in the industry right now. And, you know, I hope he continues to do it for quite some time to come. Right. Um, Mate, the brokerage industry is um, quite a saturated market. Like they're popping up everywhere. You just have to go to a, you know, a trade show like the CHFA and, you know, they're everywhere. So it was kind of interesting for me to see that you um, did eventually um, work exclusively in within the plant-based market. And you mentioned it was a couple of years into it that you sort of realized that that was an opportunity for you to differentiate yourself. You know, apart from offering, you know, the... Um, your services to plant-based companies and giving them access to the world. What other sort of points of differentiation did you um, go out there and execute on? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think, you know, we really focused on brands that wanted to, um, you know, enter in the Canadian market first Mm -hmm. and foremost. So mostly uh, U.S. brands that didn't necessarily have the, knowledge or expertise of, of the Canadian market. And, um, you know, uh, first it was education piece. Um, second, it was setting up, you know, clearly defined plans and KPIs and, and goals and not promising these guys the world yeah. um, because, you know, the um, reputation sometimes in the brokerage world is, uh, you know, e- individuals will, will promise uh, listings and penetration across all retail outlets and yep. um, we took a very strategic approach in terms of um, identifying certain banners and, and volume targets and then moving out from there right. um, and and that was really our focus was to offer best in class kind of boutique and, and unique service and then we also made the decision to uh, take on less brands so we could provide um, really focused attention Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I um, One of the questions that I did have for you, and it was one of the sort of the first things that came to mind when I knew that I was going to sit down and have a chat with you is that, you know, if you're thinking about who listens to this podcast, the vast majority of the people are, you know, um, entrepreneurs, business owners and operators in the food CPG space who are just either getting operational, you know, they may have been operating for six to 12 months or, you know, right through to a couple of years and they're executing on their vision and, you know, they're working through the struggles of like how to grow and how to scale and so on. And I can imagine that, you know, working with a broker is something that's coming up on their radar and they may be at a place or a point where they're like, you know, it's time to do this. But at what sort of point within an operation would you suggest that getting a broker on board would be a great idea to help, you know, execute on their vision? Yeah, that's a pretty common question I get asked um, or, or 
um, was asked previously, and I had a very strong opinion about that, that, um, you know, uh, for smaller scale manufacturers who may be making their products out of, um, you know, commissaries or um, test kitchens uh, or using a co-packer, it's really about them starting and failing fast. Mm. So that means uh, product uh, validation pricing at farmers markets first, really yep. screwing up hard, getting that feedback um, from um, customers there um, and doing that for about three to six months. And, mm-hmm. and thereafter, um, you know, gaining distribution um, in their local area. So, yep. you know, um, smaller retails, independents, um more of a, a a unique approach instead of going to the whole foods of the world and mm-hmm. some of the bigger guys where they target right away because if you go to those guys too soon and you don't have your margins and your P&L buckle down yeah. um you're in for a world of pain so i always said start i would always say start at the farmers markets for about 6 months and then um you know battle it up and down the street and unfortunately you're going to have to load your merchandise in the back of your truck and deliver it on your own hustle Um, but hustle but that'll give you a a a taste first Mm -hmm. and then the next step would be to align with a a local distributor Mm -hmm. uh, someone like a horizon or a unify or psc or someone smaller and see how it goes from there yeah and then once you're starting to generate you know the revenue you can look at um a broker but i i don't think you want to do it um you know, until you've established those 40 accounts, you've moved to a distributor. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was always my kind of take on it. Yeah. I was wondering what kind of traction you'd sort of like to see with a business that you had potentially on board or what exactly it is that you're, you would have been looking for within a business, you know, obviously product is critical taste. It's got to be like a quality product that you, you know, resonate with and you know that there's a market fit for. You'd want to see some traction on the retail shelves and see some good turns. But, you know, are there any actual KPIs that you look for that, you know, you could potentially um, offer some, uh, the listeners some insight on? Yeah, for us, when we identified U.S. brands, obviously we we wanted to ensure that they had uh, good ACV in, in certain markets, um, you know, 500 to 1,000 stores, million in revenue, mm-hmm. um, because it's a big decision to come mm-hmm. up to Canada, um, yeah. you know, when, when the U.S. market's so large and yeah. Yeah. really attack it region by region. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, what, what we really looked for was less granular, so to speak. It was pent-up demand. So... Um, it was, um, you know, products in categories that were being underserved and we were very, um, you know, uh, quick to identify products that didn't have a plant-based alternative. Uh, they, they may, they may have had a meat-based or a dairy-based, um, you know, um, counterpart, but, but wasn't plant-based. So we, we looked for that uh, type of white space. Got yeah. What's ACB? What's an ACB? All commodity value. And what's that exactly? That's a trade. That's a trade term. If, uh, if my memory serves me correct for showing the percentage of distribution in a certain region. Ah, right. Okay. Got yeah. Mate, tell me a little bit about the very food, uh, the very good food co. And when they first came onto your radar. Yeah, the very the very good foods company or very good butchers, as mm-hmm. most people know, uh, starting right. in 2016 by um, James Mitchell on on Denman Island. Um, James was a classically trained chef that that came over from uh, Europe and worked at uh, Heirloom, which is a, a local institution here in, in Vancouver, mm-hmm. and um, learned how to um, to craft authentic, great tasting burgers at mm-hmm. Heirloom. Um, he then moved over to Denman Island and um, kind of started uh, over there slowly at farmers markets, met up with um, Mitchell. Um, they took out a stall at the Victoria Public Market, called up uh, the Times columnist and said, hey, we're the very good butchers. And they said, butchers, what do you mean? You guys can't call yourself butchers. And um they opened their stall to uh, a lineup around the block and, and sold out products um, day one. And this was in about 2017, 2018. Yep. And I actually met um, Mitchell um, at the market in Victoria and was really um, you know, excited by the taste. It was the best tasting 
plant-based burger I had ever had. There was no aftertaste. Um, it was really clean and um, just pure. Um, and at that time, I think Beyond was just coming into the Canadian market on the mm-hmm. food service side. And, um, you know, it was a considerably different uh, product. So it was, I was um, really drawn to the two individuals and, um, you know, their product and, and the brand. And um, we had a couple conversations and uh, I think six months later I said, hey, how about we uh, over here at Lloyd James um, represent you guys? And we took them on and, and helped them. Um, very early on with some mm-hmm. of the pricing and setting up, uh, you know, systems for these guys and um, got them into about 400 retailers in, in year one. And fast forward to uh, 2021, uh, just over a thousand retailers. And um, in March, 2021, they, they purchased Lloyd James and, and brought uh, our team over to be their in-house um, Salesforce and systems and and all that fun stuff and it's been uh, it's been quite the journey ever since. No doubt. And then they took it public in 2020, which was a huge undertaking as well. So this has been an organization that has grown quite rapidly. And I can imagine, right. you know, through acquisitions and so on, you know, they're bringing the right people on board, just like they did with you. But you know, at the same time. Um, you know, there is so much out there that's happening right now in this plant-based space, especially when you're looking at burgers and so on. And I just, as a side note, I just want to say that the burgers are awesome, as you suggested. Like we do eat them at home every now and then. Nice. And also the taco stuff is too. Like we eat meat, but just to change it up every now and then, we just buy other products. And, you know, especially with me, you know, interviewing entrepreneurs and uh, businesses out there, I like to, you know, taste what I'm, uh, taste the product uh, before I interview people as well. And I am always blown away by the quality and the ingredients list and um yeah the taste of the burgers like they're great genuinely yeah yeah they really are and and again it's it's not compromising and being authentic yeah in terms of um you know the ingredients and um you know it helps that uh the company was started by a a classically trained chef so you have that culinary focus in the products versus something that may be crafted in a lab per se yeah, for sure. And I love the brand that they've developed as well. Like it's got that classic sort of butcher shop vibe to it. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that that was extremely intentional by them. Do you have any insight on the brand development and uh, and the way that they went about that piece of the business? Yeah, I, I think, you know, if you look at the the association with butcher shop, mm. um, it's one of our strongest, I, I think, um, you know, features that resonates with our consumers in the sense that when you walk into a butcher shop, um, there's a relationship with the person behind the counter. There's yep. traceability in terms of where all those products come from. There's no nothing artificial. There's no fillers. Um, and it's it's quality ingredients. So I think, you know, the, the company's taking the, the same approach with, with our ingredients. Mm. And uh, it's also a little kind of cheeky as well uh, because you don't associate uh, plants with butchers. But um, what we've also done is I think brought in a whole new category of um, flexitarians mm-hmm. um, from um, you know families to uh, males, and um, that's been a little different than the strategy and approach some of our competitors I think have have taken because you know the the, the primary consumer of, of plant based meats is a, a a female from I would say about 18 to about 35 um, whereas uh, we are um, a little bit more inclusive family males and uh, also females as well yeah got you mate it is such an exciting time for the plant-based space like you suggested you know whether it's through innovation or mainstream adoption um there's a lot of great retail presence the taste is definitely moving in the right direction and and nutritional sort of labels are are getting cleaner and cleaner all of the time i'm also noticing that you know price points are reducing and we're also seeing some price parity out on the retail shelf too but with it being such a um a busy space out there i you know, I'm doing some reading on the website and I know that you've got a great approach to innovation. So what would you suggest is the single most identifiable thing that makes you different and uh, and competitive in this space, apart from sort of the taste and so on that you just suggested? Yeah, great, great question. So to go back, obviously, um, the last two years of the plant-based space in terms of competitors and mm. uh, revenue has grown, but we're actually seeing 
a bit of tapering off, um, especially the last year. Um, and that could be, uh, you know, a, a number of reasons. Um, but it's, uh, it's really interesting to kind of see um, how the very good food company has distinguished itself uh, from the competitors. And if you look at our product mix, um, we like to say that uh, we're beyond just burgers and, and sausages because yeah. uh, someone's not really going to consume burgers and sausages every day. And I think one of the reasons for um, the the slippage of the 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 um, sales and, and dollar units in the plant-based category is that adoption isn't quite there. Um, and for whatever reason, um, people try plant-based once and if the taste isn't there, they drop off and they don't, um, you know, come back into the category. Whereas we have products, I think, um, that cover three pillars. So one is every day. If you look at one of our, our top selling SKUs, it's a taco stuffer, which mm-hmm. is a very um, adaptable, versatile product in the sense that you can put it on top of, um, you know, pasta or in tacos yep. or um, salads or, or whatnot. And it's seasoned just perfectly. You can't really screw it up. It's, heat it's just heat and serve. Heat, yeah, heat and serve. Yeah. Um, yep. And that's an everyday item. Um, and then we also recently launched our butcher select meatballs, which is another one and some, some grounds. And then mm-hmm. our second pillar is the specialty side. So we have this really unique product called the very good beast, which is, uh, I like to describe as, uh, uh, almost like a plant-based Turkey with all the stuffings, literally it has stuffings and some cranberries and all that good stuff. And that's oh. a great seasonal item. Um, and then, um, we also, the, the, the third pillar is, um, the barbecue. So we've launched some ribs and, and steaks and, um, you know, continuing to develop products that meet, um, consumers at, um, different occasions and, um, stages in, in, um, in their life cycle. So that's from my perspective, what makes us really, uh, really unique and having an owned R and D, uh, facility and, and team, um, you know, we've really shifted um, to also bringing the customers in mm-hmm. and asking the customers, what are gaps in your category? And um, because we have the flexibility to um, ideate and then um, do the bench tops and, and scale the products, we can meet the customer's needs. So um, that's what I think makes us uh, different and unique in that mm. we're not just burgers and sausages. We're mm. much more than that, trying to, um, you know, increase the adoption rates. And that's how I think the category will continue to grow again, because quite frankly, um, I think there's a lot of customer disappointment on taste. I've noticed it. I'll be right there and I'll agree with that statement. Um, you know, as I suggested before, we do eat meat in our house and uh, it's only just by chance that I've had quite a few plant-based organizations on this podcast. And, you know, we've been talking about the plant-based movements and, you know, this space because it is a growing, um, it is growing out in the retail world. And I do love picking apart and sort of, you know, diving right into the mechanics of the business model and, you know, product market fit and, you know, how people are trying to differentiate themselves and brand development and so on. But, you know, with all of that said, um, you're absolutely right. Like there are a lot of people out there that, you know, do branch out and try something new and move into this plant-based space. And the consensus is that at times they do feel let down by that taste and the mouthfeel and so on. So they do tend to gravitate back to, um, to meat. And, um, you know, especially the, you know, you go to a trade show and I'm out there sampling a lot of products. And I would say that out of 10 products that I sample, I would say it's probably like a 70, 30 hit. I'd say that 70% are on the fence and then 30% are knocking it out of the park at the moment. So, you know, it's, but I mean, that's just my opinion. Uh, sure. which doesn't count for much. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'd be interested to sort of see what the broader um, population are thinking. Um, mate, I'd love to know a little bit more about the decision to go public for the organization in 2020, because that is a huge undertaking. And for all intents and purposes, the business was quite young. So do you have any insights as to sort of why the decision was made there and were they looking at other opportunities to raise um, to raise finance and so on? Yeah, so you know, we we did raise on um, I believe it was called Front Funder. So we had uh, mm-hmm. we had some folks support us there, and then yep. we did a, another uh, a private raise of friends and family. Cool. I think the decision to um, list on on the markets was driven by 
the opportunity to have access to capital yeah. to expand um, mm-hmm. into new markets and, and serve um, new customers. And, um, you know, at the time, the plant-based space was very frothy. We actually IPO'd just before um, Beyond Meat. So, right. I, you know, there was a lot of folks who took keen interest in, in the category mm. um, and wanted to uh, support the growth of the company. Yeah, got you. Yeah, it's an interesting decision because, you know, um, there are so many different opportunities and it was really cool for you to just suggest that um, you guys went down the path of Front Funder because I did have um, Better With Ice Cream on and right. uh, they have been raising some funds there and it's been a very successful campaign as well. But the upfront cost of actually getting the uh, the program off the ground was significant, just mm. like any crowdfunding campaign. Do you have any sort of insight as to sort of what the spend was there and, you know, um, the, the um, you know, whether it was not only the, um, the investment of time, but also funds as well to see a successful um, crowdfunding campaign? Yeah, I, I'm really um, at arm's length with the, yeah. the crowdfunding piece, so yeah. I'm, uh, I can't give you much insight into That's that, right. unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, good. Mate, what else do we need to know about the Very Good Food Company? What else makes a business interesting, in your opinion? Yeah, from my perspective, it's um, you know really trying to crack that adoption mm-hmm. uh, nut in light of, uh, quite frankly, all the noise, because yep. uh, there has been uh, a lot of noise about the whole category, um, uh, kind of uh, over-promising and under-delivering, shall yep. we say, um, yep. not only with us, but uh, with our other competitors, and um, recognizing that there's going to be a lot of consolidation. I think, yeah. you know, over the last two years, a lot of players came up, um, rushed to the market with subpar products, and, and that disappointed a lot of consumers and, quite frankly, overwhelmed a lot of our retail buyers and um, really tightened up uh, shelf space. So from my perspective, it's, um, you know, how does this consolidation look? Because at the end of the day, um, given what's going on in our world, we know that the plant-based um, category has relevance and, mm. and, and does, you know, the body good, does the environment good and, and does animals good. So who will come out of this as really the um, category leader? And um, I'm, I'm fascinated to, to kind of see where this will go. Yeah. Um, if I look at some of the trends for 2022 and kind of beyond, I think, um, you know, people are looking for that meatier plant-based meat. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to see a lot of innovations in, in taste and texture. Um, and then I think also um, you'll see uh, veggie products um, promising nutritional parity um, and then a focus on clean label and, and organic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also uh, you're going to see set integration. So um, you'll see plant-based burgers and sausages beside um, conventional counterparts. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are some exciting things that um, we're looking at moving forward. That's cool. Man, with you being so heavily involved in the retail world and you know spending, I'd imagine, hours walking the aisles of a grocery store, where do you think that the grocery stores are heading? Because, I mean, we've seen a lot of change over the years um, in just the way that you suggested that um, products are being presented. You know, you've got your organic styles and, um, you know, it's constantly evolving. What do you sort of see the next five to 10 year period looking like in a grocery store? Like, how are they evolving to keep up with the market and um, what consumers are expecting? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I mean, uh, I, I was surprised to learn uh, recently that um, you know the the Jim Pattison group is getting away from hard copy flyers. I don't know about you, Aiden, but I I always enjoy going into the grocery store. Maybe that's you know classical training from mm-hmm. um, my old days, but picking up that uh, paper um, uh, weekly flyer and, and checking things out there. Seeing so the sales are. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think obviously uh, they're trying to figure out omni-channel yep. um, is a, is a big piece for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, as it relates to the plant-based space, um, which I can talk about more, um, you know, the biggest question we get asked is where's is the point of entry for the consumers and how do we merchandise plant-based? Mm. You know, is it, um, a section on its own? Is it fully integrated? Is it in produce? Is it in the meat? And, um, you know, we're doing some tests with retailers to find out where we're getting the highest velocity and, and turns and, and repeat. Um, so that's, uh, you know, an, an ongoing 
uh, challenge and something that we're, um, you know, really trying to dig in with our retail partners to figure out um, how can we um, expand the categories in the stores in regards to plant-based. Oh, yeah, it's interesting as well. Like when I go in, I just notice more and more sort of convenient options and pre-prepared meals and meal kits and um, so on just cropping up all over the place. So I feel that like those grab and go sections are just going to constantly keep on growing. And, you know, maybe people aren't going to be doing such a large shop once a week. Maybe they're going to be going in, you know, two or three times a week or, or whatever it is and sort of picking up smaller pieces as they go. Does that seem to be a trend that you're noticing too? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it depends on if you're looking at uh, rural versus um, yeah. urban, yeah. but uh, I, I'm a big fan of a concept in Europe called Marks and Spencers and uh, prepared meals. Um, so I think as um, certainly from a from an urban perspective, as uh, people you know, try to uh, make it out there and just take Vancouver, uh, for example, Mm -hmm. Um, smaller people are living in smaller, smaller places. They're looking for those fast, easy, convenient meals. So I think you'll see a lot more um, ready to eat, take home um, and convenient meal solutions, similar to what they're doing at Marks and Spencer in uh, the UK. That's awesome. Mate, I'm going to switch into a different gear here. So, you know, um, you and I discussed that you're uh, currently the treasurer and the VP at the Food Executives Club of Vancouver. And, you know, it's a great organization. I've been across um, to a few lunches now and really enjoyed my time there. And you're also sitting on other various boards. You know, at what time did you sort of decide in your career that it was time to sort of step into those roles and further expand your network and um, get in amongst the community? Yeah, for me, it's about uh, learning, um, learning from other people. Aiden, I always say mm-hmm. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I surround myself with people who are much smarter. And in that, um, from a really young age, I've always wanted to um, go to people who I think um, are experts in their field and just um, open myself up and ask questions. And that's that's how I learn. Um, yeah. So. Uh, you've actually you've actually dated uh, the the position at the food executives. I, oh, really? I started out a director as large, and yes. um, this is my president year. Oh, so, congratulations! I should have uh, known. Yeah, that. thank Sorry. you. No, no, that's that's all good. So uh, it's really an opportunity to support the executive team and um, you know help grow our membership, which is yep. great. And yep. um, it's just so nice to see our retail partners come in and and share their plans and and where their businesses are going and uh um you know have a have a lunch with our colleagues and, mm. and learn that's awesome actually you know what in hindsight i did know that mate uh because obviously when i went along to the chfa lunch where aaron skelton presented you uh yeah. you got up and you presented it too so yes i did know that so sorry no about no that. worries no worries that's okay yeah <laughs> mate yeah. actually one cool thing about the execs club that i i actually really um i quite admire is the fact that a director will move up through the ranks and that's everybody right. gets a go at the uh, at each role and you know obviously has an opportunity to um, you know, have a position handed over to them. And I think that's a really cool thing. Is that, do you, have you noticed that in other boards that are sitting, like that you've sat on as well, or is that unique to the Fit Executives Club? Uh, I, from my perspective, it's pretty unique to the yeah. Fit Executives Club. Some of the other boards are, you know, um, set uh, mm. terms and, and positions that yeah. I've, I've been on. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, you know, just like business, it allows you to learn um, you know, the association from, yeah. from the ground up, which I yeah. think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, that's cool. Mate, if you had the opportunity to go back and whisper in your ear back when you were getting started in the industry, with the knowledge that you have now, what would you tell yourself? Yeah, thanks for asking that question. I think, um, you know, uh, it's all about, um, you know, goal setting and, mm-hmm. and planning and having a narrow focus and um, really digging in and finding out what is your USP as a unique selling proposition as, mm-hmm. a, as an individual or a business and really, really leaning in 
to that and, and not trying to be everything to everybody, yeah. um, but finding that USP and what makes you really special and, um, you know, sharing that with, with the world, I think would be uh, what I would say. And uh, don't fear what uh, other people will uh, say to you along the way, but um, mm-hmm. find out what makes you a star and uh, go out and, uh, you know, achieve those, those goals that you've, you've set out and uh, ensure you got a good roadmap to get there. That's interesting. How long did it take you to figure that out? Uh, I've I've always been uh, a planner, mm-hmm. um, so I, you know I still think I'm on uh, on a journey now as a dad and yeah. a new role at the very good uh, food company. Um, so for me, it uh, you know I've I've been planning from an early age, and I continue to mm. to plan and uh, adapt to any uh, you know speed bumps that that come along the way. So it's, uh, I, I'm still, uh, pretty early on in my journey, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, speaking of planning, did you plan to have an exit for the, um, for the Lloyd James group? Was that something that you had on your agenda and did you expect to happen, you know, so relatively quickly, you know, because you founded the business in 2013, but did you expect it to happen within the time frame that it did? Yeah, it, it was a great opportunity at the time. Mm. Um, really, you know, enjoyed working with founders and the brand and, yeah. and knew that we could make an impact, uh, which we did um, very early on after selling the business and mm. continue to do today. So the alignment was um, really good. And um, yes, I, I said to myself, hey, I have two options. Um, you know, when we came to that juncture in, mm-hmm. in 2020, 2021, it was, um, you know, either scale or uh, focus um, in another area, and yeah. um, or or sell. So those were the three options. Yeah. Um, and the alignment with a very good food co uh, was there, and yeah. uh, I took the chance. And um, it's been a been a journey ever since. So yeah, by the time I was forty, I said I wanted an exit, and that came at thirty eight. Perfect, mate. Congratulations on that one. Thank you. If we were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you'd had your best year ever, what would you have accomplished? Yeah, so it's it's pivoted a little bit. It's about um, really being the best, uh, being the best that I can be for uh, my family and yeah. my son, and and spending a lot of time with him. Yeah. Um, and then team wise, um, really allowing my team to, um, you know, excel in their roles and um, help move the barriers and challenges that they have so that they can uh, be the best that they can possibly be and, um, you know, grow the very good food company to be um, an industry leader and um, expand uh, the category in, in retail. Those are, those are some success things that I think about for sure. Mate. You're an inspiration. Thank you so much for that insight. Um, and thank you very much for your time today. I'm so glad that we finally got to have this um, conversation. It's been a long time coming as we both have suggested and I really enjoyed it. So thank you very much for your time. Yeah. Thanks for uh, steering the ship and the podcast. And uh, I always enjoy it and, uh, you know, big things ahead uh, for you and uh, keep the awesome guests coming. Thanks, mate. I appreciate it. If anybody wanted to get in touch, what's the best way to go about it? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn under Jordan Rogers. Perfect. I will put that down in the show notes. Well, thanks once again, mate. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Cheers. Bye. Thanks again for taking the time out of your busy day to join me for today's episode. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation or if you've got any questions, feel free to shoot me an email at hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn or Instagram at thepackheavypodcast. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about how I can help you with your business and your packaging vision, feel free to drop me a line and we'll continue the conversation there too. I'll see you next week.